Welcome to the Zest Wellness Podcast. Before we get into the recording of this mental health awareness podcast episode, if you want to enroll in the Zest Wellness platform to create healthy habits for yourself, you can do so at www.joinzestwellness.com because we know that healthier employees and happier employees can then create thriving communities. We have two guests for today's episode, and our first guest is Dr. Isaacs. She is all about healthy living through physical, mental, and spiritual harmony. In doing so, she's obtained her master's in counseling psychology and her PhD in advanced studies and human behavior. Her strong belief is healthy habits change behaviors and behaviors change environments. She's the founder and lead consultant of Gemi Health and Wellness and her business is involved with the National Insurance Board, Healthy People Program, and the Bahamas Hotel and Allied Industries Pension Fund Program. Our second guest today is Dr. Roll, who obtained his Master's in Research Clinical Psychology and PhD in Psychology. Since then, he's furthered his specialty in mental health and human behavior through obtaining certifications and education in military mental health counseling, relationship therapy, grief management, and cancer coaching. Dr. Roll is also an international affiliate member of the American Psychological Association. And today, you can find him as the managing director of DR Counseling and Associates Therapy Center. With that being said, we have our two other uh, interviewers for this episode, wellness coordinators Donovan and Naval. So to the four of you, Welcome to this episode of the Zest Wellness Podcast. So, what an introduction that was, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> For both of you. Yeah. Um, I must say, it is a, a pleasure to, to have both of you present today and have you join us for this podcast. Dr. Jan Isaacs, Dr. Delano Rowe, um, we are very grateful for you guys to contribute on mental health awareness today. We all know that in the Bahamas and all through the, the Caribbean, worldwide actually, you know, mental health. It's a big issue. Uh, we know that chronic diseases stem from uh, mental health, in a sense. And so we thought it very important to have this conversation today. Now, I'm going to just going to jump straight into it, okay? I'm just going to ask a big question. Um, I'm going to post this one to Dr. Rowe first. So, Dr. Rowe, can you tell us what is mental health? All right. Thank you so much again for having me today. When we think about mental health, um, or when we talk about mental health, we're actually talking about um, wellness, the wellness of the human mind. We're talking about um, the cognitive, emotional, and uh, behavioral wellness of an individual. In actuality, 
Uh, mental health can also be considered as to be without mental illness or to be without mental disorder. Uh, mental health is a growing field. Um, it is a field that is rather new to a lot of countries now, but it is, it is growing around the world. Persons become more aware of uh, mental health in, in itself and also the benefits of mental health and the importance of mental health. Persons are now um, becoming more aware of it, but it is a rather um, growing field. It is, it is maturing. Um, and mental health it basically ensures that the individual basically holistically from a, from a psychological perspective, incorporating mental, uh, emotional, and um, psychological wellness, that the person is basically well. Okay. So for, for me as an individual, um, I want to know, and I'm sure our listeners also want to know, um, am I mentally sane? Uh, if I want to self-analyze myself, what is something I can do to self-analyze myself to determine that I am mentally well? Well, um, an individual, uh, when, when you talk about self-analyzing, I, I would think that we're actually talking about um, being able to identify um, whether or not they are, or the person is actually mentally healthy. Um, but there are, there are a lot of symptoms and a lot of clinical signs that a person can actually um, identify with in order to ensure that they uh, are you know, basically are mentally well or if they do need to see somebody. Um, but we have, there are, there are so many signs. You have um, feelings of uh, low energy, a person um, who have um, chronic aches and pains and tensions that are unexplainable, that they cannot really explain, you know, why they're having these aches and pains. A person um, who may be sad, um, you know, chronically dejected, a person who basically having issues with their eating habits or patterns, their sleep patterns, roller coaster emotions, um, a person who basically has been um, struggling with um, even self um, self esteem, you know, self esteem, feeling, you know, that they cannot measure up um, to other individuals. A lot of times, individuals experience these signs and symptoms, and they don't realize um, it's direct correlation to mental health. But anything that um, basically causes um, an emotional disturbance, a crisis. Um, and unsettling within the mind of a person that's affecting them with their emotions and their behavior is actually a sure sign that something is actually going on and they need to really see somebody. That's interesting. That's a, that, that was a lot of um, symptoms to kind of kind mm -hmm. of wane through to determine if there's more. Yeah, yeah, and I can imagine so. And, and in some cases, I'm sure even just one of those symptoms can be at an extreme um, um, point, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I'm concerned with how persons get this way? How do they become mentally unwell? How do they um, projectively become in a state of needing help? So, Dr. Isaacs, if you mind, um, tell us, what, what do you think are some things that really influence these changes in habits or changes in behavior that lead to mental health? Mm -hmm. A lot of times, um, as Dr. Rowe mentioned too, it could just be your daily your daily lifestyles and, and a lot of mental disturbances or um, unhealthy feelings come from our choices that mm -hmm. we make daily, mm -hmm. you know, without even really being aware of those choices and aware that those choices are causing us, causing a disturbance in our mental health or mental awareness. Um, it could be work issues. It could be something at home. It could be just within ourselves. And um, if we go back to, uh, to childhood, it could be something that we hadn't dealt with or didn't even realize that it scarred us somehow emotionally. 
and we have gotten to the point where we just keep burying and burying issues and not dealing with them because we've learned, it's learned behavior from childhood. And I call it packing it away. You pull out your suitcase and you just pack it away. Mm-hmm. Or if you have home, at home, you have a drawer or a cupboard that you just keep packing stuff in until eventually something happens. And when something happens, all of the stuff come falling out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be anxieties or fear, fear to move forward in life. So there's, it's, it's, it's a compilation of a lot of things that can cause us to really come into that place of not being well in our minds. And it affects our bodies, like Dr. Rule said. Um, we go to the doctor and we're complaining about a pain or we're complaining about some symptom and all the tests, all the clinical tests are done and if they've come out negative, doctor says you're fine. But, you know, you're not fine. You're still not fine. And it's because your packed, learned behaviors cause a lot of our mental health issues that are not clinically based. And a lot of clinically based mental health issues come from genetics or from chemical imbalances. So that's different from the learned behaviors that cause mental health issues. That's interesting. I'm I'm always concerned with, and I'm I'm careful with choosing my words now because I don't want to say the wrong things about, you know, our listeners, if someone may feel that they may fall within these brackets. But I'm I'm interested, especially with the the pain factor, why is it that persons would want to run away from the, the problem itself or why not wanting to face that problem head on, not addressing it so it can be past them? Uh, why, why is it that they are packing these issues away? That's a very good question. And um, a lot of us, you know, see physical pain, you can take, go to the pharmacy and get something and swallow it and that eventually the pain will go away. But mental pain, is, it's different. Um, you can identify where it's coming from, or you may know where it's coming from. But we as human beings, we tend to run away from things that we, can't, we have no control over. Because why? We haven't developed the coping skill set to deal with that issue. And so we say, well, I'm not going to deal with that right now. And I'll let Dr. Rule take it from an even clinical standpoint where, you know, um, over time, if you you haven't developed those coping skills, um, then you're not resilient. Um, You you haven't learned how to um, take the obstacle and use the obstacle obstacle as a strength to build the resiliency that you need. Um, And so you just pack it away, you run from it. And that's where the fear factor and anxieties come from and the stresses come from. And then over time, you know, there's a hormone cortisol that is connected to stress um, that causes us to have the mental health issues. Um, The symptoms bloom, blow over into real great mental health issues. Yeah, and you need to add to that, that's a very great point. And to add to that as well, I think um, well, it has been proven in research that there's a correlation between the way an individual um, is developed, the, the cultural environment um, that they are raised in, um, as it relates to how they identify and um, relate to a lot of issues um, that, that, that presents itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we go right back down to childhood, we would see that um, even around us, you know, a lot of times parents they're teaching their children or their kids from an early age how not to embrace and to be open and real with the negative aspects of their emotions. 
So a lot of times you would see a child is crying and the parent would say, be quiet or I'll give you something to cry for. So those type of actions and behavior from childhood is, is teaching the children that, hey, it's not good to really express negative feelings. And so that becomes a learned behavior, as Dr. Isaac mentioned earlier. And now the individual become a grown up and they're still occupying or they're still operating based on the principle that I cannot be honest and truthful with the negative aspects of my emotion. Mm -hmm. And that's why you would find that a person would say to you, if you ask them, how, how are you? I'm fine, thank yeah. you. It's because we have been trained to always reveal the good aspects of us and to always hide or camouflage the, the negative or what we deem to be the negative aspects of our emotion. And that's why the same person who said that they are fine would commit suicide an hour later mm -hmm. because they were actually hiding and not addressing what they were actually going through because it, it was a learned behavior and most times it's because of how they were basically culturalized as children. Mm -hmm. So you would find that some children are raised in a climate where they are they are they are taught and uh, to be expressive. Mm -hmm. Okay? And in some cultures uh, they would call that the child is being rude, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. to them, children are not supposed to be verbal about their feelings mm -hmm. unless they are asked or whatever. And so it has a lot to do with the culturalization of an individual and how they were raised. In some person's home, they, they were their, their, their negative emotions and feelings were welcomed. Mm -hmm. But in other, in other person's home, they were not as fortunate to have that openness to negative um, expressions. Mm -hmm. And so for those individuals, it's very easy for them to go on a daily day on a, from a day-to-day -day basis, feeling that it's okay to hide it or to keep it, you know, secret because that's how they were raised. Yeah. So what does what does really tell us, me, and I'm hoping our listeners just got for both of you, mm -hmm. is that our interactions as individuals really does direct the mental health of the individuals around us. Because uh, as a parent, we can suppress a child or grow them up in a certain environment or a certain uh, method that will lead to mental health in the long run later in life. And in fact, we as colleagues, as friends, as family members, adults or, or not, um, do have the abilities to kind of encourage, but then also at the, at the same time, um, uh, suppress individuals into making them feel a certain way, leading to more mental health issues. And that's a big concern. Yeah, it, it is disconcerting and it is so... The, um, ethnic belief system that they grew up in. And so we pass those behaviors on to our children, unfortunately or fortunately. Um, and, and um, you know, some parents get the education along the way. Mm -hmm. And so they are able to change some of those behaviors that their forefathers and mothers brought them up with. And they can see the contrast, the difference the differences, and, and that comes through intellectual education and seeking knowledge. Um, but then some parents, if you haven't had the exposure, you continue that, um, that series of behaviors with your children, your children continue it with theirs, and you go back and say, well, this is how I was brought up. I don't know any different, or there's no other way. And they're not willing to open themselves up to seek other ways of behaving. Do you think we are still in the um, trial and error method of trying to figure out what is the right way to grow up children to avoid mental issues? Or do you think that there are some standard things that uh, parents can adapt now to improve on the mental health of their child? Yeah, I think the, the first and foremost is listening. Mm 
Okay. Just listening. But we weren't taught to listen. Right. We're in a busy world. And the world doesn't give us a chance to stop. Um, uh, what I've done is taken the word stress, for instance. Mm -hmm. And the first letter in stress, I say stop. When you're feeling stressful or anxious or fearful or uncertain about your next move, um, because everything is coming at you fast, just like when you're in traffic. Mm -hmm. The traffic, you're at a four-way stop. You don't know which way to go. You stop. And when you stop, you become still. You breathe, you're able to take a deep breath in and breathe and release. And when you do that, then you can think. That's the second letter in stress. You're able to think clearly. And when you're able to think, you're able to relax and see the resources around you right in front of your face, like you and you and you. Um, and then, you know, then you can evaluate those resources. That's the E. And then the next the letter is S which is you gain support because you've evaluated. And in your evaluation, you can see the support. Like I said earlier, we haven't been exposed to stop, to listen, you know, um, and those support systems, that's the next S, um, will help you and supply all of what you need to move out of that phase of stressfulness, of anxiety. And so I feel that we need to, teach our children to just be still, yeah. to listen, but children mimic the behaviors of their parents. And so if you are teaching yourself to listen and be still, um, then your child will copy, be a, become a copycat of your behavior. What a, what a beautiful way of taking the word stress, which is a, a, a negative word, and making it such a beautiful way of, in, in terms of an acronym. So yeah. thank you for that. that that's actually You're welcome. Very... And I, I, I think Donovan and Naval and Dr. Rowe, I think what we all need to do is to teach our children and ourselves on a daily basis to take um, something that may look fearful or anxious or stressful and flip it, just like how we could flip the light switch. Mm -hmm. Just flip it and see the positive out of it. What can I learn from this? And we need to start teaching our children how to take whatever happens in life, whatever failures or, or you know, um, something that was unexpected, how to take that and stop and say, now, what can I learn from this? Right. You know, and how can this teach me to become a better individual, right. a stronger, more resilient individual in the end? What a world we would have if we had so many persons able to do that, hey? Yeah, but when you start, when you have your first child. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next news. Thank you for that. That's actually And I have another question. I'm, I'm, I'll pose this one to you, Dr. Wu. So can you tell me, when it comes to mental health and the stigma related around it, um, how do we address the stigma? How do we address the stigma of persons wanting to talk about their problems or to uh, find resources or to, like Jan mentioned, um, notice the persons around you that are your support system. How do we kind of reverse this stigma? I think well, that's a very good question. And I think that um, it's very important because you no know, stigma leads to misconceptions and misconceptions leads to suffering. Mm -hmm. um, but the biggest way to address stigma related to mental health that I've seen um, is basically through education. Mm -hmm. Education is certainly one of the major ways to address and break the stigma because a lot of the stigma has been um, created based on misconception and myths. So the only way to really um, to correct a myth is to expose the myth um, to education and basically to speak to it. 
Uh, a lot of times, uh, companies, um, sometimes I realize that they are trying to um, break the, the trend, even with your company, uh, break some of the myths and destroy some of the, um, the stigmas connected to it. Because, you know, over the years, and even now, a lot of people believe that if you um, need to see a therapist, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, but I always try to help people to understand that that is, that is not the truth. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with basically having someone that's in your corner as a, as a support therapist or coach basically helping to guide you through the process because like how Dr. Isaacs mentioned the acronym of stress, a person uh, on their own may not have really come into that understanding by themselves. And so having to see someone doesn't mean that you're crazy. All it means is that you're basically um, at a point where you basically would need the support that's needed in order to help you to get to where you need to be um, and to ensure good mental functioning. Uh, But the stigma through education can be broken. And I, I think that we need to educate our people um, through, even through the media, uh, corporations, companies, even as early as um, the school age, even mm-hmm. through primary school, you know, even sometimes in kindergarten, because the kindergarten, the kids are getting more wiser now. I think that we need to incorporate the importance of good mental health uh, and bring mental awareness to the uh, reality of our people so that they can grow up with this in their system. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've worked with a few uh, cultural groups, even through trainings and uh, clinical internships over the years, and I've discovered that different cultures experience and receive mental health on a different um, based different levels. Mm-hmm. While the stigma is um, of mental health is consistent throughout the world, it's on different levels of understanding and receptiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered that particularly in our culture, I, I, I realize that it is a little bit more, you know, um, it is not as healthy as it should be because, again, psychology is basically rather new. Uh, counseling, you know, has been around for a while. Pastoral counseling, spiritual counseling, but the professional aspect of it that deals with um, research-based um, techniques and principles are really is really new to our people. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that what has been displayed on the media has not been helpful at all. Um, what has been displayed through um, the public um, understanding and uh, out the whole process of mental health has not at all helped. Um, the stigma, it has strengthened the stigma. So it takes persons like Dr. Isaac, myself, Dr. Naval, mm-hmm. and others who are who are learned and exposed to the concept to actually educate our people, letting them know that um, you know there's nothing wrong with seeking men- mental assistance or coaching and support for issues that you may be having in life. Mm-hmm. For for our team as um, wellness coordinators, we we host a series of lunch and learns and education mm-hmm. sessions in these corporate environments. And when it comes to mental health, the, the approach seems to be invite someone that's an expert to come and speak to the employees and let them have a question and answer session. Do you find that as a, an effective means of addressing mental health in workspaces? I think, sorry, Dr. Isaac, sorry. Uh, that's a slip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pardon me. But what, what I, I, think, I think it begins the conversation. Okay. It begins the educational aspect of what Dr. Will is saying, and it's bringing some awareness. Um, and you're advocating for a healthier workplace. But I believe that because we still have such a great stigma of mental health throughout the world, um, and if you would notice in England, um, they are really putting a great emphasis, the, the prince, um, prince, um, prince um, Harry, Harry yes. and his wife, Meghan, they're putting a you know, great emphasis on mental awareness. Right. And he's speaking up, up, up on how he had to go and get seek mental right, health. Right, after his mom had died. After his mom had died. And, that's, and it goes back to burying, 
you know, burying all of our pain and shame and, and, and stuff. But I think if we're going to address it and seriously address it in the workplace, we need some persons like myself and Dr. Rule to go in and sit with the HR department first. Let the HR department identify persons, employees, with whom are good employees, but you know that they are experiencing some level of mental discomfort, mm -hmm. despite them even saying it. And that they're wearing their costumes, but you can see that there's something gravely wrong on the inside, um, through either through their work or their actions or habits in the, in the lunchroom, or just their responses to a senior officer. So I feel that if you're really seriously going to address mental health and stress management issues and um, intellectual um, awareness and emotional health, whatever that is, in the workplace, it begins with sitting and having the conversation with persons who can make changes like look at um, and look at your, your employee workforce identify one or two people and have them come and sit with persons like myself and mm -hmm. Dr. Rule in a confidential space outside of the office. Mm -hmm. um, and you would get a good return on your investment through that employee because they're going to become more productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Less absenteeism and less presenteeism, which is a new word. Um, as you know, in yes. workplace wellness, right. we're presently there, but we are just going back and, and forward to the coffee machine mm -hmm. or the lunchroom for yeah. coffee or water, but we're not actually working or performing. You're clocked in, but you're yeah. not really there to work. You're not in. present. You're not present mentally. And so I believe that we, we are beginning to shine the light on it, but more can be done mm -hmm. to, to make it more effective through, you know, more education, more awareness. And, and really putting our actions where our mouths are. Yeah. And also to add to that, I, I liked the, um, the example that Dr. Isaacs gave with regards to the, the prince himself as well. I think that testimonials are very important too. Good. Uh, because we are in the, in the line of business where confidentiality of our clients is so paramount, we cannot be the ones as professionals to initiate the, the testimonials. That's something that they have to do. They have to be willing, but of course, um, that individual must be a person who does not mind sharing because as you can imagine um, a lot of things a lot of people experience they may not want to really you know tell people what you know what they've been through because of who they are and their status in society and also because of the stereotype connected but I think that if a lot of the persons in the country knows the type of people that see therapists um, and as we were even speaking earlier, how sports um, therapy and psychology is becoming so prominent and you have a lot of world-class athletes who have therapists, a lot of actors, they have therapists, a lot of surgeons, people who um, around the world who work in high-level executive corporations where the stress levels are high. These individuals, they have therapists. But the question is, are they really willing to let people know that, you know what, the key to my success in surviving in this environment is that I've had a stress, I've had a therapist who are helping me and providing support for me, you know, while I reign in my tenure. Mm -hmm. So, but I think that if the public was to really know the extent in which our work goes and who actually benefit, I think it'll help to break the stigma because a lot of these people are persons that they respect, mm -hmm. people that they value. Mm -hmm. And, um, but these people that they value, are they willing to actually admit mm -hmm. that they have the support from persons like ourselves? Mm -hmm. But I think it's very important.
important. When uh, Dr. Isaac spoke about the um, the introduction of it in the HR department, my mind went on the, the key tip, the, the, what I call the, the teapot scenario. We know that there's a hole to the top of it, and when it reaches boiling point, it whistles. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, the water in the teapot represents you, your emotions, and everything that you've dealt with built up over time, right? The teapot whistling represents um, you know, you needing to vent and talk to somebody, right? But imagine taking something like a paper bag or something and clogging the teapot. What's going to happen over a period of time is the pressure in that pot is going to explode mm-hmm. and you're going to have a messy situation. Mm-hmm. The explosion now is indicative of a person whose psychological state and crisis have escalated to the place where now institutionalization is now needed. Mm-hmm. Places like Sandalins and other things, other places like that are needed now to intervene because the teapot, the, the, the teapot has been boiling for so long without any assistance or any, you know, anyone coming to the aid. So mental health is important because it escalates. There are different phases of escalation that an individual will go through. And without assistance, they can actually get to that place of institutionalization. Mm-hmm. And then once you're institutionalized in this country, mm-hmm. then you have, you're stigmatized, right. unfortunately, you know. Um, and the combustion, and you know, what you're talking about with the teapot, I really like that analogy. It's true. A lot of us are, are, are really functioning on the edge, you know. Right. A lot of persons you see coming to work, performing, they are functioning on the edge. And it's not only the work um, stressors, it's the home stressors. We don't know what people are going into at home. We don't know. A lot of people are walking the thin line in marriages, in relationships, in who they are as a person, finances. you know, finances, and then just... Just identifying with who I am as a person. Am I, am I a woman? Am I a man? Or mm-hmm. am I, you know? Um, because the world is changing. We're we're, we're struggling with our sexuality yes. in this country, um, and I'm talking about this country simply because throughout the Caribbean we see this trend. We see this trend, and if you look into the world, um, last earlier this month we had so many killings in the United States. Yeah. Combustion. The teapot just, you know, getting so tight. Um, And so, you know, we talked to someone today and then by nightfall they've killed themselves simply because they've gotten into the habit of expressing, oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm good. Why? Because they don't think anybody's going to stop to listen. We definitely don't want um, institutionalization for individuals. Nor do we want combustion, as you would have mentioned. And I value um, going beyond those lunch and learns when it comes to mental health and doing individual assessments mm-hmm. on employees in a more confidential manner. Mm-hmm. And then also um, directing those with extreme cases to experts like yourself for resolutions. Mm-hmm. And I also think that um, culturally, the office space can benefit from changing the dynamics of what's happening within the, uh, um, the, the workspace, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of managing your finances and your a wellness budget, you direct some of your wellness budget towards mental health awareness, not just in the month of October, but also throughout, all throughout the year. And as simple as recognition programs, as simple as um, extracurricular activities, days off from work just as a reward, these things can be beneficial to ensure that the culture within workspaces are mentally sound. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. value that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you see a lot of issues where a lot of employees go rogue. You know, uh, the behaviors change, like Dr. Isaac sort of mentioned, 
the colon sick days and you know increases um, the insubordination. A lot of these things are sometimes telltale signs mm -hmm. that companies managers should not avoid. And I think we do our people injustice by just um, you know rather than helping to intervene, just writing them up and firing them. Mm -hmm. Because what we're doing is we're referring that problem to another company. We're not fixing this. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And and you're not fixing. You're not helping to fix the person. And you if you pride yourself on being a comp a, a company. That, that works with your employees, uh, but you're just shoving them in the corner or, or designating them as unfit for this job, um, then, then you're not helping the situation as, all, uh, as well. Um, what I would like to also say is that once we ourselves become responsible for our own health and wellness, because it starts with us. Right. If I'm the president of the company, I need to be doing some things. Right. On a regular basis. It starts from the top, right? It starts from the top. I can tell you when when I started my mental health studies um, as a, in in um in my masters, I had to send in reports every month that I was seeing a mental health provider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that I and I don't know if your school had that, but every three months I had to send in a report from my mental health. So, so even the experts need to be yes. assessed. Yes. Sense. Yes, yep. yes, because you're dealing with people. People are allowing you to come into their personal heart space, right. into their head spaces. And so you have to prove that you are sufficiently able to navigate those waters with someone, because that's really what right. we're doing. We're just helping them ride the waves of life. And I'm sure, too, it can be a bit daunting for you as an individual to take on so many persons' um, issues, because... Um, as well as coordinators, we too are faced with persons coming in sometimes and they're talking about what's happening at work. And it's nothing related to um, to wellness specifically. It's just more so they need someone to bend to. Mm -hmm. And that, that takes a lot on uh, us as individuals to take on that energy, take on that type of of type of emotion, mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. I'm sure that, that the assessment is, is is warranted because mm -hmm. we don't want you as experts to also be worn out in the sense of being able to help others, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, first off, I'm going to have this podcast on repeat. <laughs> this is good information you guys are disseminating and sharing with us. Um, earlier in the podcast, I've heard the word culture mentioned at least six, seven times, right? And um, that makes me think about um, aspects like the culture of poverty, which leads me to this question in regards to social classes. Um, and in my thinking of culture, I think about a person's way of life. It's on and those sorts. So my question to you all is, um, why do people of different social classes identify differently to mental health? Mm. Um. I, from my standpoint, I feel it's an educational level and an exposure um, intellect. If, if you're a reader, if you've exposed yourself, and not necessarily having been in college. You don't ne not need to have a college degree to, to understand and appreciate that um, you're having some issues and before it boils over, or I come fast, I mm -hmm. need to go and speak with someone, whether it's my pastor and I get spiritual counseling, mm -hmm. or whether I seek a professional like a psychiatrist or behavioral therapist. Um, and so I believe it's, it's, it's just a, a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it's ignorance. It's ignorance. And I don't like to, to, to um, say, well, you know, because I have money, I know more, so I'm going to pay for 
for a psychiatrist. I could have the money. I could have the education. I could have a PhD, but I could still be ignorant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the level of intellect that we allow ourselves. And it starts, starts from childhood. It starts right. within the home. It starts cultural. It starts with um, me allowing my children to speak up and telling them, you know, mm -hmm. encouraging them to seek help outside of myself, taking responsibility. Um, and, and I think that's what it is. So it's it's a level of intellect and, and lack of ignorance that's, that, that stops us from seeking the help that we need. That's very good. That's a very good thought. Also to add to that, you know, studies have been shown, have, have been done, which have revealed that um, a lot of persons who battle with mental health issues, mm -hmm. they come from environments where poverty is certainly a factor. Mm -hmm. um, the socioeconomical um, uh, grounding is very, very weak. Um, even gang-related violence, mm -hmm. um, domestic violence, you know, all of these things um, affect from a social class perspective how an individual identifies with, with mental health. Of course, a person that is uh, less fortunate um, or disadvantaged and is not able to really afford treatment, sometimes these individuals, they fall through the cracks mm -hmm. and um, they actually deteriorate and they get worse. Mm -hmm. Persons from higher social class, while they may be exposed sometimes, you know, because of their financial state, they may be exposed to um, information. These individuals are also in a position most times to really afford to pay for a therapist. The average person or the person who's basically um, from a low-income family or who is not financially well, these individuals may not see mental health as a priority. They're mm -hmm. trying to just survive on a daily basis. Right. So for that matter, a lot of them, um, they basically you know, don't even look at mental health as an option. So for those individuals, I've seen where governments over the years have tried their best to, um, to really help to um, fund the, uh, counseling sessions or basically hire therapists sometimes through the public service to provide um, these services to these individuals. But once again, there's a challenge because the system is so swamped mm. and there's only so many people that um, these uh, publicly-based therapists can actually deal with at a particular time. Mm. So to answer your question, I think from my perspective, um, I really believe that social class really uh, really affects how individuals, um, because through education, like Dr. Isaac said, but also through uh, the individual's financial ability to access this, mm -hmm. this treatment, and also um, from their ability um, to really, um, to really, um, uh, uh, how should I, how should I put it, really pay, you mm -hmm. know, for what they need in order to ensure, you know, good quality mental functioning. And there again, present opportunities now for companies right. to help to step in and to provide treatment for their people, even for schools. I think it's healthy, um, you know, for schools mm -hmm. to even, you know, sometimes outsource, you know, private therapists to come in to see the children, to see the teachers, you know, not just when someone in the school dies, mm -hmm. but, you know, at random just to even if, just to do surveys, just to do a mental checkup to see, you know, the state of everybody on the, on the property where they're at. Right, right, right. And, and just, uh, just to piggyback off your, your mention of lack of resources, right, and I think that affects a lot of individuals who live in the culture of poverty, who live um, in a poverty-stricken area, I should say. So with those lack of resources, uh, can you share any tips to ensure that that individual still um, gets, I mean, still re receives some form of healthy mental state or is in a healthy mental state? Okay, I mean, you know, like I said earlier, um, governments, um, well, I know when to speak for our, our country, um, our the government, Bahamas. the Bahamas, yeah, <laughs> we, we basically have, um, there are some um, government-based therapists um, that can actually be accessed through the Community Counseling and Assessment Center. Mm -hmm. That's on Collins Avenue. Um, an individual can actually go there and make an appointment 
and request to see, you know, a, a therapist. Um, and, um, you know, they could see someone through that route. Also, um, basically just being able to, um, uh, be able to take care of themselves because like Dr. Isaac said earlier, you know, it's a personal responsibility as well because, you know, prevention is always better than cure. Right. So an individual can actually develop those skill sets, uh, to be able to help to manage their state. Um, it can really help them in the long run from actually needing to have uh, interventive um, therapy and techniques done. So simple as taking care of your physical your physical health, um, getting sufficient rest, you know, proper diet and exercise, you know, uh, being able to be around people only mm -hmm. that really makes you feel good or people that, you know, help to enhance your, your environment and not so much around people, you know, who help to devalue you, um, to bring you down, to affect your self-esteem. You know all of these all of these issues. Also, um, another another big cause of, of mental um, issues is through bereavement. And of course, we cannot prevent death and dying. Loss is a natural part of life that we all must experience. But there are some people sometimes that hold on to grief a little bit longer than other people until it turns uh, into uh, clinical depression, major depressive disorders we call it. So I think that. Even with regards to that, just knowing when it's the time or knowing when, you know, you need to see somebody and actually take the step to do it. Because unless you present yourself, there's nothing that anybody can do about that. So, Dr. Rule, uh, Dr. Isaacs, this has been enlightening today. We've learned a lot. Um, we've learned several approaches to mental health when it comes to campaigns within countries and cultures. We understand one, it starts with the individual looking within and then also looking without to see the resources around them. We understand that the government can have an effect on mental health in the country by ensuring that there are resources for individuals from low economic backgrounds to, to speak to someone on a regular basis to find a resolution to the issues they may be faced with. We know that culturally within office spaces, the HR director or manager even the president or executives, board of directors of an organization can directly influence mental health within the workspace, which trickles over and spills over into the home of the individual. And we also understand from um, a cultural aspect that we as individuals should be our brother's keeper in a sense. And we need to um, identify with if there is something going on with someone that we are working with, someone that's in our family or in our household, and then also be able to um, point them in the right direction so that they can see that help. So I, again, I thank you for your contributions today. But, but before we go, can you let our listeners know from both of you, I'll let um, Dr. Isis go first, how can our listeners get in contact with you so they wanna have an extended conversation or seek you for professional advice? How can they reach you? They can reach me on 327. 2700 or 422 or 2211. Okay. 242 is my area code. And do you have a website or, um, or any email address that you want to share as well? Email uh, jisics at Our website is presently under construction. Okay. Because as you both know, we just closed our, our facility. Okay. And um, I'm redirecting all of our energies into health. Well, you know, John is basically a member of the Zest Wellness team anyway, so I'm sure our listeners will be able to reach out to you in any way they can. You can reach me through Atlantic Medical as well. Yeah, definitely. 
can you let us know? Yes, uh, my office number is 242-698-1112. That's 242-698-1112. Or privately on myself at 242-423-5905. Uh, at this time, my website is also under construction. Okay. Uh, but my email address is drcounseling, that's C-D-R-C-O-U-N, S-E-L-I-N-G at Outlook.com. Guys, I think today's podcast is going to make a great impact in mental health awareness, not just in the Bahamas, but in all cultures. And anyone that would, that takes the opportunity to listen and tune in. And again, I say thank you. You're quite welcome. Thank you very much, Robin. Appreciate it. That is the conclusion of our mental health awareness episode with Dr. Isaacs and Dr. Roll. Right from the beginning, with Dr. Roll mentioning mental health being wellness of the human mind, to Dr. Isaacs mentioning the insightful acronym for stress. The energy of these two guests was palpable, and you can tell they speak with both great passion but they backed up that passion with great knowledge and practical knowledge into what the state of mental health is right now and what we can do to ride the waves of life. Remember, you can keep up with all of Zest Wellness's other happenings, such as our education sessions, our events, our vendor network, through our website, www joinzestwellness.com and of course you can interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm.